This episode of The Explainer is supported by Daft Advantage Ads. Selling a home is a huge financial decision, so make sure your property is on daft.ie, Ireland's number one property website. Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, what does Ireland's unprecedented marine heatwave tell us about our climate? Well, in recent weeks in the North Atlantic near Ireland in the UK, a marine heatwave saw water temperatures rise far higher than normal for this time of year. Some might ask what the fuss is about, since the main tangible impact will be warmer weathers when we hop in for a holiday swim. But this heatwave comes amid warnings that these conditions will be bad news for marine life, vulnerable ecosystems and ultimately for us. It's just another of the many warning signs that the Earth's climate is heating up and fast. Global ocean temperatures in May were the warmest of any modern records. This can cause mass mortalities of marine life and plants, and scientists are concerned that it's just the beginning. So today, to bring some clarity to all of this for us, I'm joined by Lauren Boland, a reporter with The Journal here and author of our climate newsletter, Temperature Check, and by Dr. Jared McCarthy, oceanographer working with Maynooth University's Icarus Climate Unit. Thanks so much to both of you for joining us. Hi, Laura. Hi, Laura. Lauren, when we talk about climate change, I think we really just have focused on land temperatures rather than sea temperatures to date. And if we're talking about sea temperature, we tend to just focus on melting ice. Right, Laura, I think when we think about temperatures rising in a general sense, we usually conceptualise that in terms of land temperatures, naturally enough, because that's what we ourselves are experiencing day to day. But the world's oceans are a huge part of our climate system. With climate change, they're being affected not just at the poles in terms of ice melt, but across the globe as we continue to pump out more and more greenhouse gas emissions that are trapping heat inside the atmosphere. That's a long-term process, but this most recent marine heat wave is a very alarming signal of it. And Jared, what role then does the ocean play in mitigating against the worst effects of climate change and how is that changing? So the ocean plays a huge role, really, in in mitigating the kind of uh, effects that we've had from climate change so far. The ocean acts as a huge heat sink, so it's a lot harder to warm up water than it is to warm up air. So in fact, almost 90% of the excess energy that's been trapped in the climate system has ended up in the ocean and led to rising um, marine temperatures. Now, it's not only temperatures that the ocean has been hoovering up, but uh, the ocean hoovers up almost a quarter or a little bit more than a quarter of, of the carbon dioxide that's been emitted. And so it plays an important role in sequestering that, taking it away from contact with the atmosphere where it can warm land temperatures further. And is it the case then that the land temperatures are causing this extreme heat rise in the seas? There's a number of factors compounding things. So probably the leading factor is uh, El Nino. So we've been in a, a, a phase of La Nina. So El Nino and La Nina are, are really kind of a, a climate phenomena that have their origins in the Pacific Ocean. The standard situation in the Pacific Ocean is that it's relatively cool on the side of, of Peru. And when El, El Nino happens, basically that cooling, that, that cold water that upwells by the coast of Peru, uh, ends up shutting down and you get a big warming all the way across the tropical Pacific. And this this doesn't just stay in the Pacific, as, as many climate phenomena don't just stay in their lo- locality and really has a kind of climate impacts throughout the world. Typically, you would get during a strong El Nino, you would t- typically get uh, global mean temperatures rising. So that's one factor. But there's other factors, particularly around the North Atlantic. So uh, in recent years, the, there's been regulation on the amount of sulfates that have been emitted by shipping. So 
ships tend to use um, or used to use, I suppose, very heavy crude oil in terms of um, what they used to burn. And it had a huge effect. I mean, really massive effects, particularly in kind of port cities um, where these ships would be idling and just kind of emitting sulfates. And this was very bad for human health. So there was regulations that came in to stop that. Now, there is a knock-on effect in terms of, of the climate because um, sulfates are what we call aerosols. Um, they are basically small particles that get emitted into the atmosphere and act to reflect sunlight. So they actually have a cooling effect um, over where they're emitted. And because there's heavy shipping across the North Atlantic and the North Pacific also, but across the North Atlantic, uh, in terms of the temperatures we're seeing now, that has contributed to kind of a lack of cooling, basically, rather than a warm. That together with the other source of sulfate, so other small particles, is Saharan dust. So Saharan dust blows across the Atlantic typically, and, and there's been a lack of that this year. And that also in the same kind of way, in the way that without these aerosols, without these uh, um, particulates in, in the atmosphere reflecting at extra sunlight, you get additional warming. So it sounds like the perfect storm, really, doesn't it? And Lauren, the heat wave, it's continuing and the temperatures are still far above average. What was the highest temperature we saw in recent weeks and how far above modern records is this current hot spell? Around Irish waters, Ned Aaron have given a really detailed account of what we've seen happen in the last few weeks. Um, so sea surface temperatures in June were at a level that we wouldn't ordinarily expect until August. And so off the coast of Cork, the water reached 17.4 degrees, which is nearly four degrees higher than what the average would be for June. It was 17.1 off of Donegal. And then it was slightly lower in the Irish Sea at, at 14.5 um, because it was the Atlantic side that was driving the heat wave. So temperatures were particularly hot in June during this heat wave. Uh, but in fact, globally, sea temperatures have been well above average across this year so far. Uh, in the past few months, they've been significantly higher compared to every other year on record back since 1981, which is when satellites began recording ocean temperatures. And this has particularly came to attention in June, but there is still a notable difference in the temperatures we're seeing now compared to what we would ordinarily expect this time of year. You mentioned the shipping pollution and the El Nino effects there, Jared. but are there any other factors at play here with these temperature increases? So I suppose in particular for the Irish heat wave, what was unusual during June was that we had very calm uh, atmospheric conditions. Lauren mentioned the Met Aaron report um, about what, what they've been observing, particularly at these Met boys that are located around uh, the coast of Ireland. So offshore, particularly in the core of the heat wave, we've got a, a, a boy kind of due west of Galway out towards nearly in the rock called trough called M6. And we've got another one in kind of a little bit farther out from Donegal Bay in, in M4. Both of those really showed that that really big spike in, in June, and that coincided with a really kind of calm spell of, of weather. Uh, the way the ocean works typically is that in the winter you get um, a lot of heat. So with winter storms blowing in and cooling atmospheric temperatures, you get a lot of mixing and cooling and heat release to the atmosphere. So by the end of the winter, and the end of the winter for the ocean is probably about March time, you end up with this big, deep layer of cold water at the top of the ocean. Um, this can extend down a couple of hundred metres. The maximum solar radiation typically coincides, well, it does coincide with the, the longest day. And uh, when you've got calm conditions, uh, you tend to get this warm layer at the top. So what we saw with the extreme temperatures in Irish waters is that they were very warm and very shallow. So they didn't extend more than about 25 metres. Now, in a typical year, you still have a lot of waves and wind going through um, in June that just mixes up all of that warm water with cold water underneath. And that's not what we saw in, in June. So we had this very warm, very shallow layer that really led to those extreme temperatures in, in Irish waters. 
Um, that's been abating in recent weeks. So the waves have picked up, the wind has picked up and it's been mixing. So that kind of the extreme temperatures, certainly as observed by the uh, Medair and uh, Marine Institute boys, has been dropping and returning to still high, but, but closer to normal levels. I mean, none of this is good news for marine life and for delicate ecosystems. Like Lauren, what type of short term impacts might we see to marine life here and also longer term if this trend were to continue? There's a real variety of impacts that marine heat waves can have and also that longer term boost upwards in temperatures. So for one, an increase in temperatures can disrupt the balance of marine ecosystems and, and negatively affect the plant and the fish life in our waters. So, for example, warmer water causes more bleaching of coral reefs, which people will probably be familiar of as something that's already happening when we see those photos of these you know, beautiful biodiverse reefs in warmer waters, there's a stronger bleaching effect um, that takes away from those. Uh, Warmer waters can also create quite harsh or unlivable conditions for certain types of fish or shellfish or other marine life. Um, And higher water temperatures as well can reduce the level of oxygen in the water, um, which of course in itself is also a threat to marine life and, and can also increase the risk of disease outbreak among marine species. Um, And as temperatures continue to rise, species that are adapted right now to living in the conditions of Irish waters, as those heat up, those fish might migrate northwards to try to find cooler waters, more like the temperatures that they're accustomed to. And then the species that currently are adapted to living in warmer waters further south, where that water then gets very hot, they may come northwards to Irish waters And that change in the distribution of species between the latitudes can threaten the the natural ecosystem and biodiversity in the sea around Ireland. And all of that then, of course, has knock-on effects for the economy in terms of the fishing industry and and other connected businesses. And there's longer cyclical effects as well that can make climate change worse, compounding upon what's already happened. And is there any government plan here in terms of trying to mitigate this damage that could be happening? Well, the end goal, firstly, has to be reducing emissions because it's the human caused greenhouse gas emissions that are trapping heat inside the atmosphere and driving temperatures upwards. But in the meantime, there are also ways to help the ocean. And one of those is this idea of creating something called marine protected areas. And that's a process that involves identifying sections of the sea that are maybe key for biodiversity or for storing carbon in the ocean and working with people who might have an impact in that area. So for example, local fishing communities to try to develop a management plan that allows for biodiversity to thrive. And the government has put forward legislation to try to allow for the creation of marine protected areas. Um, That's still in the works. And there are concerns that it's something that really needs to start being put in place quickly because we don't have any time to lose on this. But then there's also a keen interest from conservationists in seeing that the legislation is effective and meaningful and that the areas can accomplish what they set out to do and and won't simply be reduced to little more than kind of, you know, imaginary lines in the ocean, because sometimes that that is what's happened in the past with conservation efforts where there's maybe a big ambition in principle, but then in practice, it hasn't had a major impact on actually protecting and restoring nature. So that's really 
what is going to happen to protect the ocean. I'm hearing echoes of the EU's nature restoration bill here, really political figures trying to find solutions in the space between the food sector and the climate crisis. Uh, Lauren, could we be potentially looking at other threats to food security here with these rising sea temperatures? Well, the sea has a huge role in food change. So a change in the type of fish species in Irish waters inevitably changes what fishers can catch and and bring back to shore. Now, obviously, in Ireland, we don't just rely on fish that are caught here or food that's grown here. We import a lot of food as well. But other countries are also going to be tackling the various ways in which climate change disrupts food production. Because of our economic position here, Ireland won't be the first country to see the impacts of climate change on food security. Um, But that doesn't mean something we can ignore. So for many countries, this isn't a distant concept. It's actually already the current reality. So the 2022 Global Hunger Index last year, it identified that 44 countries are already currently suffering serious or alarming levels of hunger. And it pointed to a combination of climate change, along with other factors like conflict um, and the lingering effects of COVID-19, as being something that's already left millions of people exposed to food price shocks and to hunger. So when you look at the situation that the world is already in, in terms of food insecurity um, and hunger, anything that can exacerbate that and make that worse is is really something that we would like to avoid. So, Jared, you're uh, monitoring events with the work that you do at Maynooth University. What do the models predict for the future of Irish water temperatures? Some reports are saying it will warm further. Others saying now it could cool. Yeah, so I suppose this is probably one of the, the kind of confusing elements of what's going to happen with the future in the Atlantic. Generally, the consensus from the models, that's when you put all of the models together and look at the average of what they're saying is that there'll be warming in Irish waters. Now, even what you regard as Irish waters is is a good question. So whether you're kind of looking at the full extent of the economic zone, which extends quite a long way to the west, or whether we're looking at Irish coastal waters, you actually get a different um, level of, of certainty and a different level of, of warming associated with that. So I suppose up on the Irish shelf, close to the Irish coast, we expect a warming to continue. The uncertainty really happens when you go out into the mid-Atlantic. So between here and Canada, uh, we call it the subpolar North Atlantic and um Really, that is where a lot of the uncertainty is is with future temperatures. So there are some models that suggest that it will cool in the future. This is associated with a collapse in the Gulf Stream system or a very sharp slowdown in it. So we we know, I suppose, we've kind of a popular imagination in, in Ireland about the Gulf Stream uh, lapping warm waters against our shores and giving us a particularly mild climate. Um, the Gulf Stream is part of a larger system of ocean currents that, that moves heat around throughout the globe in the Atlantic, moves it to the north, releases it to the atmosphere and carries it over north, northwestern Europe. Now, this is a system that has shut down in the past through kind of the abrupt climate changes that we've had through ice ages in, in the past. And there is the possibility that it will collapse going into the future. And certainly it's predicted to slow down going into the future. So. What that means is that the um, areas impacted by uh, strongly by the Atlantic will not warm quite as war- quite as rapidly as the rest of the world. And there is the possibility of a larger slowdown and, and waters to actually cool. Now, Ireland will still warm overall, uh, but less than the global average because of the effects of, of the, the ocean. Thinking of selling? Choose Adapt Advantage ads to guarantee unbeatable visibility, attract more buyers, and get the best price for your home. Ask your estate agent for a Daft Advantage ad today. This 
warning about the Gulf Stream is nothing new, as you say. There is nothing we can do. We're in big trouble if the Gulf Stream doesn't operate the way it has done in our lifetime. We are in for quite a change, I suppose, if we um, think about uh, the Gulf Stream collapsing completely. Uh, so the last time that the, the Gulf Stream collapsed completely, we were kind of thrown back into a, an ice age for you know, a couple of hundred years, at least, if not a thousand years. Uh, now, that we, we don't expect an ice age to come or anything like that because uh, the type of the climate disruption that we're experiencing at the, at the moment is man-made and, and forced by uh, particularly greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so it's a very different scenario, but we would expect quite a change in Ireland's climate. So, so what do we expect? So we expect um, slightly cooler temperatures. We would expect uh, drier summers. So that's particularly important in Ireland because of the way we manage our water. So um, I think it's probably a frustration to many Irish people that uh, in spite of it raining for maybe uh, nine or 10 months of the year, as soon as we get a dry month or so, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but as soon as we get a, a, few, a dry spell that we get onto water rationing and hosepipe bans and that kind of stuff. A lot of that is to do with how we manage our water. We uh, take our water from surface water, which means we rely on it. We replenish by rainfall. Um, drier summers are bad news if you rely on your water in that kind of a way, because um, it, it really kind of uh, impacts how you can kind of you know, manage water and, and distribute it. There are studies that have looked at the impact of these kind of summertime droughts associated with a collapse in the, in, in the Gulf Stream system. Um, there's a study looking at UK agriculture and they came up with the rather shocking uh, conclusion that it would be the end of arable farming in, in England if the Gulf Stream collapsed. So it's a hu huge kind of knock on impacts like that. The other impacts then are, of course, in, in the wintertime. So we expect the Atlantic to get a lot stormier. So I suppose in some way, the Gulf Stream currently carries a lot of warm water to the north. So you've got, if you think about the storms being spun down the Atlantic a little bit like a, a, an elastic band being strung between the hot equator and the cold poles, the Gulf Stream system kind of acts to blur that out a little bit by pushing more warm water northwards. When that slows down and even when it collapses, you get a very sharp contrast and that fuels a lot of extra energy for the storms that come down uh, across the Atlantic. So we expect uh, stormier, uh, stormier winters and we expect storms to penetrate further into Europe in the situation where we get a strong uh, slowdown in the Atlantic. So, Gerard, I think we often think of Ireland as something of a safe haven when it comes to climate change. And that has been echoed only in recent weeks that we could be a tourist hub when things go wrong, which is probably not the best way to approach this. But that's not really the picture you're painting here. I would say overall, this, the, the idea that Ireland will be less affected by the extremes of climate change compared to other uh, locations in the world is, is correct. Um, so, for example, if we look at something like sea level rise, the low-lying coral atolls of the Pacific and Indian Ocean, the low-lying coasts of Africa are going to be far worse affected by, by climate change. If we look at heat stress, we look at uh, the Indian subcontinent, we look at Southeast Asia, where um, where the heat extremes there really have a, a huge knock-on effect. And that kind of uh, extreme heat stress is something that is still not predicted to be the biggest impact on, on, on Ireland either. So, so broadly speaking, there are probably less climate impact on Ireland. Does that mean we should do less about climate change? Absolutely not. This is a global issue and it's only going to be solved by everyone pulling pulling together. And we have a responsibility as a global citizen as well to not just cast uh, the climate change impacts on other places uh, to the wind um, and, and say it's not, not our problem. You get the same when you talk about climate action, you know, oh, we're just a small country and what difference does it make if we reach net zero? 
well, you know, I think it, it, it means if we reach net zero that we have done our part. And it's a very powerful thing. You know, Ireland might be small in number, but we do tend to have a larger um, global impact in terms of diaspora, in terms of our role in Europe. And, and I think we can provide leadership, you know, on that. Um, Scotland, for example, has, has done very much like that. They have a lot of renewable energy in Scotland and they have a target that Scotland will not be contributing to the climate crisis in, you know, in, in, in coming decades. And that's a very powerful thing to say. That's a very enviable thing to be able to say. And it'd be great to be able to say that Ireland would be doing the same. So I suppose in terms of the kind of the, 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 the climate impacts on Ireland, we will experience change. There's no doubt that we'll experience change. Um, and it's our ability to adapt to that. So I think as a climate scientist, uh, one of the things I'd be really keen to kind of emphasize is that we need to take climate change very seriously. It's not something that we can ignore. Um, and we need to do what we can to mitigate. And we need to be ready to adapt as well. So we need to be ready to take uh, the actions needed to protect ourselves for future sea level rise, for increased storminess, changes in the types of rainfall that we have. Um, and through that adaptation, um, we can be resilient to a lot of what will happen, but it does need really serious action. So when we look at the effects of these marine heat waves, Lauren has mentioned the movement of different marine species. What other negative effects, Gerard, have there been recorded in other parts of the world where the seas have heated up? So Lauren mentioned uh, shallow water corals. I suppose that's one of the, the real kind of um, canaries in the coal mine in terms of marine heat waves. So Great Barrier Reef, for example, is a is a um, a very famous uh, shallow water coral reef with amazing uh, natural biodiversity there. Through 2015 and 16, there was a marine heat wave in in that region. They lost between 30 and 50 percent of their corals to coral bleaching. Uh, so coral bleaching occurs. So these are a different type of corals than the corals that we have in Irish water. So these are shallow water corals. They require sunlight. They have little algae inside them that they get their energy from. And when you get this real heat stress, that algae gets uh, spat out and, and you get this bleaching. So you get these white corals as opposed to this beautiful multicolored coral reefs that we're, uh, we associate with in, in our minds. So, so they're the type of impacts that, um, that have occurred internationally. Coral, coral is a really kind of big one like that. We have different species in Irish water. So Irish corals are completely different. They're cold water corals. They're down deep and they, they survive in completely different ways. So, so this type of marine heat wave that occurs in the upper ocean is not going to affect Irish corals, but it will affect the types of species that, that we see in Irish water. So there's been reports in Donegal Bay of warmer water species such as anchovies um, coming, into, coming into Irish waters, that type of thing. There's a paradigm, of course, that the warm water species will universally shift northwards. As I was talking to you about the Gulf Stream and how that might be a different future scenarios, we, we know that that has changed in recent years. Um, so there was a particularly weak um, Gulf Stream system reached a, a trough at around 2010 or so, about 10, uh, 10 to 13 years ago. And we know that we could see um, colder water species coming in at that stage. So blue whiting, for example, which, which like cold and relatively fresh water, were huddling up to the coast of Donegal and uh, in response to this change in the Gulf Stream system, which of course, you know, in terms of the impacts, then that meant there was a boom in terms of blue whiting fishing in, in Irish waters. So again, it's an adaptation kind of issue that, that what you'll be catching is, is different. And it's kind of adapting with that as, as things change. I think it would be remiss of me not to ask, because I know many of our listeners show a lot of 
interest in this aspect. There's been a lot of talk in recent years about the rise in jellyfish on Irish shores, many more washing up on the beaches, warnings about them in swimming areas. Does this have anything to do with sea temperatures, Jared? So I guess the, the rise in jellyfish um, is frequently associated with um, overfishing, really. So I suppose um, we live in the Anthropocene, which means um, human beings have a huge impact on not just on greenhouse gas emissions, but also through overfishing. So, for example, in terms of fisheries in Irish waters, climate is second to the amount we fish, you know, in terms of the impact on, on species. So. Uh, you end up, uh, as you fish out your larger species, uh, you end up fishing down the food chain. Um, that means that there are less uh, fish species that would naturally keep these ecosystems in balance. And it leads to a rise in things like jellyfish, leads to a rise in uh, you know, crustaceans replacing the types of fish that we've used to in the past, cod and these types of uh, bottom-dwelling fish. So it is possible that this is associated with um, with water warming, which would bring the warmer waters into, into Irish waters, but also due to a fishing, which means that the predators that would naturally keep these uh, jellyfish in check are not, not there anymore because we fished them. And Jared, can you tell us as well about the record low Antarctic sea ice? Because that is a factor too. Yeah, so global records are being um, broken all around, um, all around the world. So we had the hottest global temperatures on record for the planet uh, in the last couple of days it's been pretty pretty shocking we've already spoken about how the, the north atlantic has been particularly warm for a, a long time since last summer at least and antarctic sea ice is the other one that's really been raising alarm bells so uh, antarctic sea ice has reached record lows in um uh, in recent weeks so and uh, so there's lots of different types of ice in Antarctica. So sea ice is basically the top of the ocean that freezes. Um, typically, there's a, a large seasonal effect with that, where um, it freezes a lot in, in the winter time. Um, you can get sea ice, you get ice shelves, and you get the kind of glacial or ice sheets that are over the, the land masses in Antarctica. Um, the sea ice is a is a big kind of um, uh, a big signal at the moment. One thing that I think people always associate with melting ice is rising sea levels. Uh, when you melt sea ice, you don't rise sea, sea levels. It's a bit like um, uh, ice in your glass. Uh, the, the glass doesn't overflow as your ice melts. Um, that water is already in the ocean. But the role of sea ice in the Antarctic, uh, not just the type of signal that we're seeing at the moment, but if you go closer to the, the, the coast, the ice shelves, which are a type of sea ice that buttress onto the land, and they play a very important role in keeping that huge mass of land ice on Antarctica. And there's a real worry that if these buttresses disappear, that it'll expose these large, huge ice sheets on, on Antarctica. So there's the equivalent of 58 metres of sea level uh, in terms of the whole of the Antarctic now. So there's huge vulnerable glaciers there, such as the Twaits Glacier, for example, in West Antarctica that, that scientists are monitoring a lot. It's being exposed to more and more relatively warm oceanic temperatures and has been melting rapidly. If these glaciers start collapsing, we will see much faster sea level rise than we're expecting. So I think um, the Twaits Glacier is associated with something like a three foot sea level rise by the end of the century, which would be way, way more than what we're kind of um, uh, expecting. Uh, finally, Jared, and I suspect you've probably just answered this because there's very little good news here, but your sense on this heat wave, is it anomalous? Is it the next step in a trend or are we looking at a tipping point or is it just the El Nino factor this year? So that's a question we probably can't answer just at this point scientific process it takes a while before we really understand um what 
everything is kind of going into something like this. We can, we have the tools now that we can monitor the climate in real time. You know, I was able to look at the temperatures in Donegal Bay this morning before before I spoke to you. Um, we can see how the climate is changing in real time, but those processes and what is driving it take a, a, a little bit longer to understand. We need to build the models and understand how things are changing like that. Is this heat wave something that we expect more in the future? I would say yes. I mean, we know that global mean temperatures are rising. We know that global marine temperatures are rising. As you rise the mean temperatures, the frequency of extremes and the uh, levels of extremes rise with it. Uh, so I would I would expect something like this to, to occur more frequently. Whether it's a tipping point is probably the real risky question. Tipping points in the climate system would mean um, we could say, for example, that the Gulf Stream system could hit tipping points and that it would start declining rapidly and it would just be in free fall. And these things are not easy to reverse. Uh, similarly, ice sheets in Antarctica, there are some processes that if they start kicking in, um, it triggers a collapse of the ice sheet much, much more rapidly um, than would just kind of happen from just kind of a gradual kind of uh, warming. Uh, recognizing when you approach tipping point is is difficult. They don't happen very often, thankfully. <laughs> um, now, when we hit our first tipping point in terms of climate, with the way we are, I suppose, experimenting with the climate system by putting so much greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, um, we know that we will see tipping points. So, well, I think it's 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 solidly predicted that we'll, we'll cross tipping points. I don't know what the first tipping point in the climate system will be, but we are performing a very risky experiment with the climate with the amount of greenhouse gases that we're emitting. So we have to watch it and monitor and understand what's what's happening. Um, it's too early at this stage to say what's happening at the moment is definitely a tipping point. Uh, I suspect that even though the scientific process is slow enough, the political will behind it is possibly even slower. But uh, look, thanks so much to Jared and to Lauren today for joining us. And I think it's one we'll probably revisit in the future. Thanks, Laura. Thank you very much. This episode of The Explainer was supported by Daft Advantage Ads, the best way to sell your home in Ireland. Looking to get the best price for your home? Ask your estate agent for a Daft Advantage ad today. Thanks again to our own Lauren Boland and Dr. Jared McCarthy of the Icarus Climate Unit for joining us today. You've been listening to The Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by senior producer Nikki Ryan and executive producer Sinead O'Carroll. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.